0: are back. We've got a lot of bad stuff we could kick around, but actually I think I'm going to do is focus in on two particular issues among the, the many we could talk about. We'll talk about one issue that's certainly going to impact Radio Parallax because it may mean that this correspondent is going to have to move. In fact, it almost certainly means that this correspondent is going to have to move. Something that's almost certain to have an adverse effect on, uh, the production of this show for airing on KDVS and later KZFR. The second issue may not have quite the dramatic effect, but it's also a favorite topic of ours and um, a pretty disgusting matter, all things considered. The first has to do with real estate developer slash weasel Phil Angelides' effort to build a new neighborhood in East Sacramento. The second has to do with the destruction of California's Delta. We've talked about both topics in the past, and it's a sure bet we're going to talk about both of them in the future. But for this entire segment, let's hone down on two articles. One in the Sacramento News and Review about McVillage, and the other, a special op-ed piece to the Sacramento Bee about the efforts to destroy the Delta. Now, we would like to note that we are admirers of both Publications, whose articles we will now dissect. First, the Sacramento News and Review, with whom we've had a very good working relationship over the years. And secondly, the Sacramento Bee slash McClatchy Organization, whom we frequently quote from and in general are great admirers of. Our affinity for both organizations is helped by the fact that this program has received a good press in each publication. So we kind of hate to take issue with a couple of pieces in each publication, but we must. We don't think the generally favorable report by Nick Miller in last week's News and Review about McVillage represents good reporting. And to tell you why, let's quote from the piece. Noted Mr. Miller, just about everyone who commutes to Sacramento in Business 80 from Roseville suburbs has at one time or another likely wondered about the empty plot of land just past Cal Expo. The vacant 48 acres left of the freeway before the E Street exit is home to a few billboards, a lot of brush, and a couple of train tracks in the distance. But in a few years, this could all change. It is poised to become the city's biggest urban infill neighborhood in decades. Noted Mr. Miller, earlier this month, McKinley Village, the planned 328-unit residential community that's sparked the ire of some central city neighbors, received a favorable preliminary environmental review paving the way for city approval sometime early next year. What the piece fails to note is that the preliminary environmental impact report was funded, as such proposals generally are, by the developer himself. They inevitably have an inherent bias in favor of the project because they're paid for by the guy that wants to build it. Now, I admit, I myself have not yet fully read the preliminary environmental impact report because it runs to hundreds of pages. I'm 100% certain that in the weeks to come, we're going to bring some of the opponents of this project on this program and explain some of its startling flaws. And in this, we invite Mr. Miller to join us. Because to return to the narrative of his piece, Lead project developer and former state treasurer Phil Angelides was optimistic but also tempered in his enthusiasm about the project during a chat with the SNNR. Though this piece quotes from some opposing neighborhood groups, it doesn't ask any individual about his or her opinion to balance off Mr. Angelides's. In fact, said Nick Miller, neighbors, some of whom vociferously opposed McKinley Village during community meetings this summer, awaited this month's draft environmental impact report with anticipation. Its release, however, was an affirmation of the project's credentials. The draft report, released on November 8th, found McKinley Village would be able to mitigate all environmental impacts to below, quote, significant, unquote, levels. To which I would add, whatever that means. This correspondent is familiar enough with the proposal to note that it's going to run something like 4,000 car trips a day down the sleepy little streets upon which I live. So I'm really unclear as to uh, what mitigations that are going to reduce this below a quote, significant unquote level means. To quote from Mr. Miller, The report recommended, quote, mitigation measures, unquote, that would render these impacts, quote, less than significant, unquote. Now, neighbors like myself who enjoy green leafy environments, the kind you find in Davis and certain neighborhoods in Sacramento, do have concerns that turning our streets into freeways (laughs) might negatively impact our living space. In fact, notes the article, McKinley Village will have only two points of entry, one at 40th Street and the other at A and 28th Streets. Current residents envision swaths of new commuter traffic converging on their quiet heritage neighborhoods. Uh, Yeah, hello. But according to Mr. Miller, the EIR says this won't happen. In fact, he went to the horse's mouth to have Phil Angelides affirm it did find that the traffic impact would be less than significant. I kind of suspect that what Mr. Angelides means is that where he lives, over in Land Park, this development will have less than significant effects. Now, I personally did note that a traffic monitoring device had been slapped up on the corner upon which I live. I noticed that it came down in 24 hours. I noticed from talking to other neighbors that the day that it was put up was a day upon which school was out. So, yes... Some of us in the neighborhood are a bit skeptical about the numbers that have been generated so far. But again, this all gets back to the fact that uh, apparently some in the city would like to see this infill development. We w- and we would remind you that this environmental impact report was funded by Angelides, who stands to make something like 40 or $50 million if this goes through. Now, while it's fine, For Nick Miller to quote Phil Angelides as saying the traffic studies have been, quote, more than ample, unquote. We would respectfully suggest that he get off his ass and talk to a few more people for his next piece on this. I mean, Phil Angelides is certainly entitled to an opinion about the project that he's going to make tens of millions of dollars from, but there's a few other voices out there that need to be heard in the Sacramento News and Review. And for that matter, the B. And for that matter, all media outlets. Being big players in this town, uh, Phil Angelides and his uh, former sponsor and sometimes uh, partner, Angelos Tsakopoulos, have no trouble getting their views out there. We think it's important to do what we can to get um, some other responsible viewpoints put before you. All right, let's move on to the B and its a special opinion piece by Dennis McEwen, titled, One Shot to save Delta's ecology. The author was described as an aquatic biologist who has spent most of his career working in and around the Delta, first with the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, (laughs) we've chronicled their misadventures on this program, and now with the California Department of Water Resources, who I dare say we've also um, uh, commented upon. The Peace and the Bee was uh, noted to be his opinions and, do not, and not necessarily reflecting those of the DWR, the DFW, or the state of California. Markable piece. Mr. McEwen describes how in 1982, as a 20-year-old idealistic college student majoring in conservation biology, he disagreed with his father, who worked for the California Department of Water Resources, about the proposed peripheral canal. According to Mr. McEwen, his old man said, Denny... You and your environmentalist buddies better vote for this thing because it's the best deal you're ever going to get. Curiously, Mr. McEwen notes in the piece that he thought that the peripheral canal was conceptually a good thing for the environment, which prompts us to ask again, as we've asked so many times in this program, how can it be good for the Delta environment to take more water out of the Delta? Sadly, this piece nowhere manages to answer that question, though we do want to compliment Mr. McEwen's honesty on several points. He does note that the Delta aquatic ecosystem is near collapse. At least one species is hovering on the precipice of extinction. Several others are nearly there and the federal court has placed new restrictions on water diversions. And one of the most curious lines in the piece, he says, despite this, if the 1982 version of the peripheral canal was on the ballot again, I would still vote against it. (laughs) Well, yeah. Mr. McEwen is openly um, admiring of the California Water Project. He describes it as rivaling the Apollo program in engineering, innovation, creativity, and daring. Notes how when he would drive down to Southern California with his dad, the old man would point out, there's the Edmondson Pumping Plant, the greatest single lift of water in the world. You may or may not be aware, dear listener, that something like one-fifth of the energy used in the state of California goes to pumping water over the Tehachapi Mountains to Southern California. He does note correctly in his piece that, uh, that the hubris associated with this water project resulted in decades of denial that the state water project and its sister project, the federal Central Valley Project, were having any substantial effect on the ecology of the Delta. McEwen notes that an unfortunate outcome of this denial was loss of trust and credibility with the public that places high value on preserving ecosystems and species. He says the Department of Water Resources struggles with that legacy today. But curiously, the punchline of the piece seems to be that the current debate over water diversions, as it was back in 1982, and the debate over the peripheral canal, is overwhelmingly focused on the amount of water that should be diverted, with very little public discourse on how it should be diverted or why we need to divert it in a different way. Well, yeah, the punchline here is how much water are you going to take out? Now, I recommend this piece for no other reason than to explain why the current system of plumbing is bad. They suck so much water out of the southern end of the delta to send it south to the San Joaquin Valley in Southern California that the flow of the rivers are reversed, which has a very bad effect on the fish life. But after describing the terrible current system we have, which is terrible, McEwen says this archaic process is in sharp contrast to the proposed intakes for the twin tunnels. The screens at the intakes in the North Delta will be physical barriers designed to meet modern fish screening standards. Most importantly, there will be no holding tanks or fish hauling trucks. The intakes will be situated on the Sacramento River, and fish that bypass the intakes will remain in the river. But then he adds, these new facilities will not completely replace the existing facilities, but will greatly reduce their frequency of use. Whatever that means. The thrust of this piece seems to be that uh, the Bay Delta Conservation Plan, if implemented, will be one of the largest habitat restoration projects in the country. Our question is, what good does it do to restore an aquatic habitat if there's no water to put in it? It's great to say they'll pump less water out of the south if we take more water out of the north, but if in the end there's no water in the delta, then there ain't no habitat to restore. And I don't see how anyone can get around that. In fact, in a letter to the Bee that preceded this piece, Carol Rubin of Newcastle wrote, This project creates no additional water to solve California's chronic shortages. It merely moves water from the less populous and less politically connected North State to wealthier Central Valley and Southern California users. The high-cost, ill-will, and environmental destruction the plan will cause will haunt California for decades. The controversy illustrates why we need strong print media journalists to which we would like to add and hopefully electronic media journalists as well as Mark Twain once said difference of opinion is what makes a horse race and I suppose a democracy as well to which I would add as we close the segment that in our opinion these efforts to put a good face on McVillage and the Twin Tunnels is kind of like lipstick and earrings on a pig it's a dressier look but it's still a pig I did the disclaimer right good, I think just for good measure I'll do it again, we <laughs> would stress that the opinions heard on this program do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. And on that note, let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Have you seen the bigger piggies in the starched white shed? You will find bigger piggies stirring up the dark always have